everyone. You're listening to The Stars Turn Cosmos and Cards. I'm your host, Jay. Thank you, as always, for being here. I hope the last couple of weeks have been, hmm, manageable. You're here, so that's good. I know it's been a super weird time for myself, so I don't try to project that on everyone, but I also try to keep that in mind and not say things like, I hope it's been great. Oh my God, I hope it's been treating you fabulously. I do hope those things, but it can be really annoying to hear when, uh, you know, you've just been getting by and that's enough. So if you woke up today and you got out of bed and you put on this episode, I'm proud of you. Way to go. Planets have been you know, retrograde and slowing down to station before moving forward. So it's been a weird time. But thank goodness, both Mercury and Mars are direct. This is fabulous news. Uh, Venus is very close to being in Pisces, the place of her exaltation. It's a it's a better time. That is for sure in terms of the astrological weather. And if you're surprised that I didn't say anything about Mars being direct on this platform, well, then you got to go and check out my sub stack. There'll be a link in the show notes because I did put out a piece all about Mars stationing direct and what that means for that planet, but what that also means for Jupiter's time in Aries since Mars is ruling over Jupiter. And uh, for those who don't like to read longer posts, I did do kind of a voiceover that goes with it. So you can just listen into that as well. But yeah, that's over on my Substack and link in the show notes for everyone. So it has been a weird time, but things are starting to turn in a different direction in terms of the cosmos. And I think we're going to see a lot of that really start mid-February, like as we're moving through Aquarius season. And if you clicked on this episode, you'll know that we're going to be talking about Aquarius season. It's time to direct our attention to the water bearer, which is such a beautiful symbolic representation, but also probably confusing because I think Aquarius often gets mistaken for a water sign when it is in fact an air sign, but it's got that water bearer imagery. Anyways, Let's get into it. Okay. So, Aquarius season in 2023, that's going to run from January 20th until February 18th. We will have, of course, as always, an Aquarius new moon, which we'll talk about in this episode. And then we'll also have a full moon in Leo on February 5th. Also, during Aquarius season, we will have Uranus stationing direct on January 22nd. So, just in a couple of days. And as I kind of already teased, we will have Venus moving into Pisces on January 26th. This is her place of exaltation, which is really nice because Venus has been going through a bit of a rough patch between meetups with Mars and the nodes and Uranus and Saturn. And she's been in two of Saturn's signs. Every time a planet moves into Capricorn, it just has to move into Aquarius right afterwards. So it's always this long period of Saturnine energy. And then for Venus, it's especially nice because as soon as she comes out of it, she's in a place of exaltation. She's in a place where she's sort of revered and has like a a VIP status. And then going through, you know, these different planetary alignments with Mars and Saturn and Uranus and the nodes, they're not all super challenging, but they're not the most comfortable. And so being in Pisces, it's a nice place for her. 
All right. So what else? We have Mercury in Capricorn kind of retreading some familiar ground, as is the case anytime a planet goes retrograde. Once it stations direct and starts to move forward, it has to kind of recover that ground that it already went through. So, you know, even though it is moving direct, it's still in that shadow period, but the retroshade will end on February 8th. And then on February 11th, which is just about a week before Pisces season, Mercury is going to move into Aquarius. So with Venus leaving early on um, and moving into Pisces and Mercury not joining until pretty late, the focus really feels within this Aquarius season, um, the focus really feels like it's on Saturn because, you know, Saturn, of course, being Aquarius's ruler, Aquarius sorry, Saturn has been in Aquarius since early 2020. And this is the last time that the sun and Saturn will be co-present in Aquarius for another 30 years, because Saturn is very close to finishing its transit here and moving into the sign of Pisces. So it's interesting that, you know, we don't at the same time have a heavy emphasis on Aquarius with Mercury and Venus both moving through the sign at the same time. It's, it really is this focus on Saturn and the sun. So I wonder if it's a period of tying up loose ends and reflecting on the larger story of Saturn in Aquarius. So Saturn will still be in Aquarius until early March, but the sun is kind of bringing in this increased cosmic awareness to that area of the chart during Aquarius season. And as we move through the season, both the Sun and Venus will have their final conjunctions with Saturn and Aquarius. Uh, Mercury will too, but that won't happen until Pisces season. So there is something about closing out this chapter of our lives. And on a collective level, this might have a connection to COVID. I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to be able to wipe our hands clean of it all, but there does feel like there is some chapter of it that's coming to a close because really, I mean, if you think back to April of 2020, this is when at least, you know, in the Western world and, and from my Western living perspective, this is really when shit got really, really real and heavy and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. This was when the sort of new normal really felt quite prominent. So Saturn moving into Pisces, I think, brings with it a new chapter of, you know, that collective story. But that's a that's a conversation for when Saturn moves into Pisces. Let's get back to Aquarius. In general, when we talk about Aquarius season, we have to remember that we're moving from an earth sign season, which is Capricorn, into an air sign season. And so the energy is always going to be a little bit lighter and more sociable anytime we move between those two elements. And Aquarius is still Saturn ruled, though. So this feels less like, you know, small talk at a party and more like getting together and having kind of weightier conversations. But it's still, you know, that communication base. And I wouldn't say it's weightier, um, like it's not necessarily heavier conversations in terms of emotions, but just conversations that carry more meaning than like, how about them sports, you know, like we're craving the kind of stimulation that comes from big ideas and intellectual pursuits. So, you know, in contrast with other air signs, we might look at Gemini and think, 
the conversation is a little quicker. It's a little more curious. It's um, it doesn't mind being a little bit surface because it's just it it has that curiosity. It's trying to just get all of the information about all of the different things. Then we have Libra, which is you know initiating conversations to kind of create relationships and. It's that Venusian angle of wanting to connect through conversation. And in Aquarius, it's kind of like a bigger picture, like what's the real big meaning behind the conversations that we're having? And in the move from Capricorn to Aquarius season, we also move from a cardinal sign to a fixed sign. So we might find that we're settling into routines. In a fixed sign, we're kind of happy to stick with what we know, at least to an extent, that fixed energy kind of helps us to take anything we might have started or thought about starting during um, a cardinal season and really stick with it and really like start to take the steps that will help us sustain and maintain those ideas. And for me with Aquarius specifically, Aquarius energy has always really felt like the scientific method to me. So, you know, like we're looking for answers, we're looking for new understanding, we're looking for something greater than what we know, like we kind of want to think outside of the walls of Saturn, but we're doing so in a structured way. We're following the same steps so we know we can rely on the results. And I say outside the walls of Saturn because with both Capricorn and Aquarius being ruled by Saturn, we can see that or we can kind of envision it as Capricorn being on one side of the wall, um, Saturn being the wall because it represents things like boundaries and limits, and then Aquarius being on the other side. And it's still, the wall is still important. The structure is still important. It's just getting a much different viewpoint of it. And I think that's why Aquarian energy can be really helpful for thinking outside the box, thinking about a new way of doing things, innovating and, you know, restructuring. And I think there is this real misconception that Aquarian energy is like anarchistic. And while I think it can definitely be rebellious, it's still a fixed sign that's ruled by Saturn. And those two things do not make for much anarchy, uh, much chaos, right? So There is the desire to create change and reconsider our societal structures. That's very much there in Aquarian energy, but it's not like a burn it to the ground and see what happens kind of thing. It's a very like, okay, we need rules, we need structure, but how do we change those things to be more inclusive, like to suit everyone instead of only some? Aquarian is a very like, humanitarian energy in the sense of wanting all to be included and maybe it's because it's like that outside of the wall outsider energy that can see like well yes structure is great but not if it doesn't include everyone I think there's another misconception that Aquarian energy can be very cold and detached and it's an air sign and it's Saturn ruled so it's certainly not as emotional as, let's say, cancer, a water sign ruled by the moon, you know, there's going to be a a definite difference between the emotionality of those two energies. But it's not without feeling. 
you know, like I hate to see Aquarian pals being told that, you know, they're just like robots. They're not. They have feelings. Everybody has feelings. We just go about them and show them and share them and feel them in different ways. And certainly as an air sign, there's definitely going to be a more heady and a more mental energy. Aquarian energy is very observant, right? Again, it's fixed. So it's content to wait until it has everything it needs before launching forward. Now, I will say Aquarian energy can make us a little contrarian. And I've seen this in the Aquarius people that I know. And it's not always a bad thing. It, like, you know, it's good to debate. It's good to have that different point of view that can challenge people to see a different perspective. But sometimes it can be incredibly annoying because we take it too far. And you know what? Not everything needs to be debated just for the sake of it. In Aquarius, the sun is in detriment. And this is because Aquarius's opposing sign, Leo, is where the sun is at home. So in Aquarius, it's where it is in, you might call it exile or detriment. It's not as expressive. It can't be as expressive as it is in Leo. And part of that is because, you know, the zodiac, this zodiac was built based on the Northern Hemisphere. And in the Northern Hemisphere, we are in the middle of winter where the sun is not as powerful as it is in the middle of summer. So I think during Aquarius season, we may be exploring and contemplating what makes us different. You know, there is that outsider energy for Aquarius. And it is a good time to think about, you know, embracing what makes us different. But it is also a great time to find groups that share that, you know, perhaps kind of out there goal or vision that you have or, you know, finding people that are like-minded, even if it's that you both share, that you all share what other people might find kind of wackadoodle. And also in Aquarius season, we have the celebration of Imbolc, which is one of the days on the wheel of the year. It's the one that follows the winter solstice or Yule. And this is what's known sometimes as like the first light. And I have made jokes in the past that I feel like when you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you have to constantly be like, okay, this is the first light. We're going to have another light at spring. And then we have the big light. It's like we're always looking for the light because it can get so dark and so gloomy here during the winter. But imagine how much darker it would have been back in the day, like without electricity and you just have candles and, you know, anyways, so in bulk. And yeah, this is the first light. If we think about it in relation with the moon cycle, it is like the waxing crescent. The It's the time when the moon is just beginning to gain some light. It is the time when the sun is, because we talked about, you know, at Yule and the winter solstice, this is the start of the sun gaining back its power, but it's still, you know, we're still mostly in darkness. But it is the promise of more light to come. And if you want to know more about Imbolc, we did do a bonus episode um, with the Tarot Coven, and it'll be in this feed somewhere in, you should look for maybe February 2021. I think that's about where it would be. And speaking of Imbolc and that sort of first light, I want to transition now into the star tarot card, which associates or which is associated with Aquarius. 
And in bulk always makes me think of the star card, that kind of hopeful quality, the finding a light in the darkness of it all. Um, both the celebration and the card feel quite nourishing to me. It's almost like this little bit of insulation, like they're keeping me warm, but also safe. And both of them feel like permission to get cozy and be patient and trust the timing and have that forward thinking attitude, but from a safe and supportive foundation. And if we go back to the Saturn as a wall idea with Capricorn on the inside and Aquarius on the outside, it strikes me as relevant given the devil card being connected with Capricorn and the devil feels very walled in in a way. It's very, you know, the chains, it's sort of bound in that sense. And then the star on the other side, which definitely feels like it is somewhere else looking in. It is definitely not, it does not have that chained energy in the same way. I mean, it is still, if we look at that, you know, traditional depiction with the figure looking through the water, we might see it as they're looking at humanity or looking at earth or looking at the wall, right? So the focus is still there, but it's from a much different vantage point. And that you know, I say traditional and what I mean is Smith Wade and maybe that's not the right wording, but the depiction of the star that I think most people are used to really is perfect for the water bearer imagery, you know, and this idea of observing and contributing, but not necessarily engaging, which is, I think, also where that sort of cold and detached stereotype comes from. Like, I think Aquarius energy cares a lot about society and the world, but doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be constantly engaging with those things to feel like they're making an impact or like it is making an impact. But, you know, as lovely as the star seems on its surface, I do think this can be one of the stickier cards for people. Yes, it does have this nourishing vibe, but I think its invitations can be difficult. Healing, nourishing, hoping, resting, retreating, these things aren't always easy. And I think the star carries those invitations. The star for me really does speak to self-care, but not in the way of like, take a bath and go to bed early and it's all going to be better in the morning. I mean, I think that's part of it. But because it's a major arcana card, I think it speaks more to the fact of this being an ongoing practice of self-care. And especially if we tie it back to Aquarius and being Saturn ruled, it is about creating habits and being sort of strict is the wrong word, but serious and mature and like, you know, sticking to something and making it a routine making it a part of your life and and taking those sometimes annoying steps in the moment that make the future better. So it's not like the shiny, glossy self-care of social media, though that can be a part of it, but it is that in addition to going to therapy, taking time away from social media, going to bed every day or as often as possible um, at a at a good time to get enough sleep for an entire year. I mean, and 
you know, you could break it down. Like if an entire month is also like quite an accomplishment, great. And then you do it for two months and then three months, right? But it's not one night. It's making enough time to take some deep breaths every day. It's making sure that you're drinking enough water every day. It's an ongoing set of practices that we can begin to incorporate when the star card comes up or in Aquarius season or honestly whenever. It might just be that Aquarius season offers us that space to reflect on what we do for self-care and how we might want to restructure or reintegrate certain things moving forward. The star energy, I think, is about restoring and renewing and rejuvenating at a very deep level, which takes a lot of work. It takes time. It takes being dedicated to that kind of care for yourself. And in making the notes for this episode, I did start to see that perhaps Aquarius's drive to restructure and create systems that are more inclusive is a form of healing and a form of healing that takes a long time. It's these big ideas for healing society that kind of feel abstract until we can put it into place. And I think the star also has that kind of abstract quality. Like it kind of feels like the figure is really off somewhere, perhaps not in this earthly realm. And they're thinking beyond the earthly realm and taking a very big picture approach. But as I mentioned before, the star is looking back towards earth and considers how things could change. So this is the opportunity to, again, think outside the box. And it's a little cold, it's a little detached, but it's from this space that we can say, okay, this is my boundary, right? Like, for example, my my engagement with social media will be from this time to this time every day. Otherwise, like, nope, I'm not doing it because that's better for my mental health. And now for everybody playing along with the when will Jasmine mention tarot for change, uh, take your drink, uh, reward yourself, whatever it is that you're doing every time I mention it, you know, cross off the bingo space. But here we go. In tarot for change, the author in, you know, the entry on the star card talks about its connection with the word hope and how finding hope and being hopeful can be really difficult for some people. And maybe not in all aspects of life, maybe in certain aspects of life, like, you know, maybe you can be hopeful about your career goals, but you're not as hopeful about relationships or, you know, the state of the world in general. And it really resonated with me because hope feels kind of bullshit sometimes. (laughs) And, you know, maybe Aquarius season is a time to reflect on that and consider why hope is sometimes difficult to find. And it really is another opportunity to kind of say, where where were the structures lacking in my earlier life that didn't help me develop a relationship with hope, that didn't help it come easy for me? And, you know, maybe we can implement new structures in our life that help us build little baby steps towards having a better relationship with hope. You know, or if there are parts of our lives where we feel more hopeful to really continue to deepen and cultivate those and maybe figure out how we can 
bring that to different areas of life. I hope that makes sense. It is something that I am just thinking about, you know, really for the first time after reading that passage in the book, but it really rang true. And I think we sell the star card short by saying, oh, it's, you know, you can be hopeful now. Oh, look for hope. But like, what does that really mean? So something to keep considering and keep thinking about. And I'd love to know your thoughts on that, obviously. So, you know, hit me up on Instagram at the stars turn. All right. Well, now we're going to turn our attention to the Aquarius new moon, which is taking place on January 21st, just a day after Aquarius season begins. And this will be uh, exact at 3.52 p.m. Eastern at one degree of Aquarius. So, of course, this is Saturn ruled, right, with the with the sun and moon in Aquarius. And again, Saturn is there as well. So that definitely provides the sun and the moon and their meeting with a good level of or with a with a good helping of resources and support. And Saturn itself is just about a day away from making a conjunction with Venus, which brings a nice energy for collaboration or partnership. There could be something in here about starting a new relationship that really has strong legs to stand on because Saturn helps things to be long lasting, which is not great for shit that you don't want to last, but really good for stuff that you do want to last. So anytime there's a Saturn Venus conjunction, watch the things that you are starting with people because if you don't want it to last, don't start it that day. But yeah, this could signal that there's a fresh start within an existing relationship or that you're starting a new project or taking a new direction. It really kind of feeds into that new moon energy. And at the time of the new moon, we'll also have Jupiter over in Aries at four degrees. So that's a fairly tight sextile happening with the sun and moon to Jupiter, which definitely brings some buoyancy. It provides some support and encouragement adds a lot of enthusiasm and motivation. The sun and Jupiter will perfect that sextile on January 24th. So that kind of feels like maybe that's the day to start actually taking action on any new moon intentions or plans for the month or year ahead. And of course, this is the first new moon since Mars went direct. And actually on the 29th of uh, January, the sun will form a trine with Mars. So it's pretty close to the trine anyways at the time of the new moon. Um, And this just feels like another day within the lunar cycle ahead to take action on our intentions. The sextile with Jupiter feels like that's the day when we really see sort of like the inspiration or the enthusiasm towards taking the action and we can start doing some stuff. But then with Mars, meeting up with the sun. That's like a lot of drive and motivation. And it's also happening around the first quarter of the lunar cycle. So it feels kind of like a checkpoint of like, how are your intentions going? You know, do do we need to pivot our energy in a different direction? Or is the way that I'm going, you know, is that the right direction? Maybe I just need to overcome a few obstacles here. And and because they're meeting under a trine aspect, it'll definitely be very supportive and cooperative. Now, at the time of the new moon, both the sun and the moon will be quite close to Pluto. They're both separating from recent conjunctions with Pluto. 
So something that's been weighing on us internally, somewhere deep, that's maybe even, you know, hidden to us, feels like it's coming to light at this time. It's coming into awareness and maybe not exactly at the at the new moon because the new moon is still a dark moon, but in the days afterwards, it's all coming into, it's being excavated and, and brought up into awareness. But all in all, it is a great new moon for your regular rituals and practices. It feels like it has a very future-focused energy, uh, especially in the way that we can see where the sun is going to be moving after. I mean, we can always see where the sun is going to be moving after the new moon, but there's something about this one where the particular, you know, the the aspects that it's going to be making sort of directly after the new moon feel like little signs and hints as to how the lunar cycle might unfold for us this time around. And also this new moon happens to coincide with the Chinese New Year, so happy new year to anybody that might be celebrating that. And the final thing I want to talk about in this episode is the 5 of swords, which corresponds with the first decan of Aquarius, which is of course where we start Aquarius season, but it's also where the new moon in Aquarius will be taking place. And on first glance, the card definitely feels quite a bit antithetical to the positivity that I just spoke about surrounding this new moon. But I think maybe I'm going to be able to find a way to connect it all. So bear with me here. I want to take the perspective uh, while talking about this card of the people in the card who seem to have lost whatever battle has just happened and how those figures might connect with the theme of exile when the sun and the moon are in Aquarius. Like I talked about how the sun in Aquarius is in its uh, detriment or exile, but the moon also doesn't have great strength in a Saturn ruled sign. Technically its detriment is in Capricorn, but it's still not doing its best in Aquarius either. So the figures who are walking away might be the sun and the moon. We could look at it in that way. And perhaps it's through this, you know, maybe forced separation or this exile, maybe it's through that that we find or, you know, the sun and the moon find a new path and new opportunities. I'm not trying to romanticize trauma in any kind of way. Like not all of life's experiences can just be shifted into this bullshit positive space where, well, here's the bright side of this. Like some things are genuinely terrible and yeah, that's, I was going to say totally fine. It's not totally fine, but it is reality. But sometimes we are able to see the possibility that is created through a tough situation or a trauma. Sometimes that takes a lot of time. We're all moving at our own pace here. But I think maybe that's where this card can come in, in in connecting it with the Aquarius new moon. So if we're feeling detached or cast off or isolated or something along those lines, Maybe we can reflect on what does what does that space, what does that feeling, what does that disconnection offer us in terms of being able to figure out what's next? Like without distraction, quote unquote, where does our heart lead us? 
or in fact, where does our mind lead us? Because we are in an air sign and an air season. So now that we are in this sort of other space, what is the new perspective? What does that sort of lack of other, in a way, help us to realize? And I know I mentioned the Venus-Saturn aspect of it all, but you know, not, not all aspects happening at any given time are always going to influence us. It really depends on how everything's interacting with your chart, and there are so many factors. So it's always good to take anything in astrology and look at it from multiple angles because there's so much that could be true. But I do think there's something about Aquarius season and perhaps this Aquarius new moon, especially in relation to the Five of Swords, where it's like, yeah, there are times in life where we learn more about ourselves by being in relationship to others. But then there are times when we need to separate from those relationships, not a forever separation. It could even just be that you need a night alone. And it's in removing yourself from those relational dynamics that you can come back to a bit of an individuation and say like, okay, right, who am I again? And what do I actually want to do next? And without the distraction, quote unquote, of the relationship, what comes into my view? I think there also might be something in here about releasing a need for approval, which I think might be a very Aquarian lesson overall in connection with that outsider energy. And it's also interesting to think about that in connection with its opposite sign, Leo, in that I think both signs can practice sort of a, a separation from external validation, but that's a conversation for another day. So yeah, so just remembering that separation aspect of Aquarius and not seeing it as a negative, but just another space within which to figure things out. You know, going back to the star, it's that space where we can really reflect and gain a bird's eye view or perspective. Hopefully that, you know, connects it to the positivity of the new moon. It's just looking for, it doesn't, you know, looking for positivity in a different way, I suppose. Anyways, let me know. Did it make sense? Did any of it resonate? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I'd love to hear what you think about the Five of Swords and the star and Aquarius season. How are you going to be celebrating this new moon? Definitely reach out on Instagram at the stars turn. You can also find me at damn fine, which I have temporarily decided to put my account to private. I'm feeling some kind of way about Instagram. I've been feeling some kind of way about it for a while. I really don't know how much longer I am going to be over there. So it is a good time to sign up for my Substack uh, newsletter because I don't know. I just don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. I think Aquarius season is going to be a time for me to gain that vantage point and see what might be next in terms of how I connect with the community because Instagram kind of drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> And, you know, removing the, the need for external validation. So I don't know. How do you guys feel about Instagram? Email me. Damnfinewitch at gmail.com. You could, you could snail mail me. I'm just kidding. Maybe one day, but not, not for now. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I will, of course, be back for another episode about something in a couple of weeks. And I'll see you then. But until then, I'll catch you in the cosmos. Thank you.